from New York, it's Ask an Engineer. Hey everybody, and welcome to Ask an Engineer. It's me, Lady Ada, the engineer. With me, Mr. Lady Ada, uh, on camera control. We're here at the Adafruit factory in downtown Manhattan where we do all of our designing, engineering, kitting, shipping, and more. We're at the factory. This is a real factory behind us. Uh, it's the real yes. deal. This is um, not a Zoom background that's blurred and changed. No. This is, no, this that's is real. real. Not a green screen. Let's see, I can go. Bye. Okay, we'll you, want, you want to come back forward? Yeah, I do. Uh, we've got a jam-packed, it's actually when you, when you open the file, it's like, oh my God, there's so much stuff in tonight's show. Big show. We're here for an hour with all the news and products and videos and it's RetroTech and boy, all sorts of stuff, including a bunch of fun keyboards, it looks like. Uh, stay tuned, uh, we're here for an hour. Um, let's kick it off immediately, since we have so much to get through. What's okay. on tonight's show? On tonight's show, the code is TOFFSENSOR. 10% off in the Adafruit store all the way up to 11.59 p.m. Tonight, Tough Sensor gets you 10% off in our store. Save a buck or two before you check out and support a 100% woman-owned open-source hardware company manufacturing in the USA. All those check boxes of all the things that people say they want in the world, well, you get Here to help are. out. Yeah, you get to help out and fuel this machine called the Starship Adafruit. Adafruit Live Series shows, we'll be talking about our show-and-tell. People came by tonight. This was a packed show-and-tell. Time travel, look around in the world of makers, hackers, artists, and engineers. A big old retro tech section where we show some of our photos from our retro tech that we posted during the week on all our social medias and more. From the mailbag, your letters, tweets, comments, and more to us and our team. Main York City factory footage, a look at what goes on here all the time at the Adafruit factory. 3D printing. INMPI, new products, top secret. We answer your questions. We do that over on Discord, adafruit.it slash Discord or discord.gg slash Adafruit. Join all 33 plus thousand of us 24 seven, even if we're not there later on tonight because we're like sleeping or something. There's thousands of people there at all times who love to show and share their projects and help you out with whatever you're working on. All that and more on, you guessed it, it's Ask an Engineer. Okay, so pay some bills. Top sensor is the first thing that you should jot down because we're gonna probably show some stuff and you're gonna be like, I wanna buy that, but I wanna save some money. But when you check out in the store, you can get free stuff. Lady Ada, what do they get when they start adding stuff to their cart? That's a good question. When you order from the adafruit.com store and you get $99 or more, you get a free Perma Proto half-size breadboard. It's a handy thing to use or give. Lasts a long time, so keep it in a drawer. 149 or more, you get a free STEM IQT sensor. Um, we're adding more sensors all the time as we've designed um, more um, light sensors and temperature sensors and, and cutie pies and controllers and all that good stuff. Uh, you'll get a different one each time if you make an account. Um, 199 or more, you get free UPS ground shipping in the continental United States. It's trackable. It's insured. It comes in a brown truck that looks just like this, but a little bit larger. Mm. It's uh, free ground shipping um, when you order $200 or more. Okay. Um, we do a bunch of live shows. We do these every single week. So the live show that we just did right now, this week we were up on show and tell. We had a bunch going on. Um, oh, we'll, boy. And we had a lot of Adafruit team members. We had a bunch of stuff going on, but do you have a particular project that... Uh, I love the skull keyboard because it's a keyboard and it's a skull. How can you yeah. not... I mean, it's the two best things, skulls it, and keyboards. It does combine a lot of the things that uh, we like here at Adafruit. And circuit python. Black shirts, skulls. Skulls. Things like that. Keyboards. Um, keyboards. So check that out. And Did I mention the skull? Yeah. And okay. it's uh, a really 
really neat one because it uses CircuitPython, mm -hmm. and I think this one was based on the RP2040, and um, it's kind of a remix of a lot of the keyboard projects we've been seeing. Yeah. Um, we also saw a cool project that uh, used Stemma, some QT, um, that someone had made a kit and then they added Stemma this year. Yeah. And then um, there was a neat lamp where you oh, yeah, can the lamp with the lamp, like uh, with put the your lamp. hand, kind of like a, a light theremin. Yeah. Liz showed some music stuff and showed we, some floppy stuff. Kevin from DigiKey, come Kevin by. Kevin He had by. a skateboard. Yeah. And Scott showed video. Uh, some of the USB host stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's a deep dive coming up. We'll talk mm -hmm. about that in a bit. But anyways, action-packed, jam-packed. There was we, like 12 people. Yeah. Or some of you people. Yeah, someone in the chat said, I wish show and tell was longer. Us too. Um, we were talking to someone and they said, oh, like, you know, what's the, what's the most challenging thing running a company? And it's just time. Like, we, like if, it, if it were possible, we'd love to just do like 24-7 electronic video shows, but we have to make electronics and then do video shows about electronics. So you have to figure out the best way to do it. But anyways, we do show and tell every week. So even if you're not able to get on the show uh, one week, don't worry. We've been doing this for like over a decade. So unless something dramatically changes, we're going to keep doing this. Even the pandemic didn't stop us. We did a full hour during the pandemic because uh, we were all freaking out and we all just wanted to talk to each other. So we're like, why don't we show the things we're making? It's like a hacker meetup every week. Because uh, this was scary. Um, so anyways, Desk of Lady Ada, that's what we do every Sunday. Lady Ada, what was on Desk of Lady Ada this week, part one? Um, well, I showed off a couple of designs that I'm working on. First up, the... Um, Feather ESP32 V2, which is this week's new product. We already sold out. Uh, I also showed a raw LCD um, display uh, GPIO toggling um, and uh, the Winamp MP3 player demo that Foamy Guy did for the learning system. Yeah. We also have the great search. This is where Lady Ada uses her powers of engineering to find things on digikey.com, which is really useful because global part shortage. What did you show how to find? This week, I know, because I'd like to restrict myself to only finding things that are in stock. This week, I found, uh, this is something I was, I've never looked for before, but it's an I2C LCD segment driver. So um, oftentimes, you use a microcontroller that can do LCD segment driving, but maybe you want to use like a Wi-Fi microcontroller, like an ESP32. It doesn't have a native LCD driver. Um, pick up an external I2C one. I found a lot of good options here, so uh, check out that video. Okay. On Tuesdays, we do JP's product pick of the week. We broadcast live from inside the product page. Also, um, at some point, we probably need to do a like pie portal or like a book of thumbnails. Um, JP is pushing the state of the art for, for YouTube algorithms. The, the history behind this is Google had told us that, uh, you know, if uh, Lamore wore like a swimsuit and put that on the thumbnail, you know, the algorithm would pick that up and there, you, you'd have more views on your videos and we're like, that's a weird thing to suggest. Um, so what we decided to do is have like super freaky um, thumbnails. And so yeah, far, so far it, it works, um, we think. We haven't asked uh, JP to wear a swimsuit yet. Um, but we do this every week from the product page. And on the product page, you don't even need to uh, use a discount code. It's automatically there. So we uh, got this idea from some of the international giant online e-commerce Empires, Alibaba does this, uh, Taobao does this, where they broadcast live from inside the product pages. Yeah. And uh, as they're running out of stuff, the people that are on video, they're like, oh, let me go get more and let me, let me talk to the yeah. community. And they're like millions of people watching this. Yeah. Um, we have a few hundred. So anyways, here's uh, this week's highlight from JP. There it is, my very own MCP23017 breakout board. This is a 16... I.O. expander, so you can do inputs and outputs. You can add up to 16 switches or buttons to your project. 
You can add up to 16 outputs such as LEDs, has the Stemma QT port. You'd simply plug that in and all of a sudden, this little board that doesn't have that much IO built onto it grabs an extra 16 ports. You can see it underneath this board here. There's the MCP23017 with eight wires running to LEDs and resistors on the top row there and eight wires running to these switches here. It's the MCP230176 IO expander. Okay, and then JP's workshop is Thursday. Tomorrow, um, here's a preview of some of the things you're gonna see. This is uh, a phone project. Um, lots of retro tech uh, going on now. Phones I think, are fun. Yeah, phones are super fun. Very tactile. And then uh, we'll see you on the other side. JP's workshop, we also do a segment called CircuitPython Parsec, where you learn a little tidbit of CircuitPython in a bite-sized Parsec. Take it away, JP, for this week's highlight. For the CircuitPython Parsec today, I want to show you how you can use shapes and fill in Display I.O. on CircuitPython in order to draw objects onto a screen. So if you look here, what I have, it's a Feather M4 plugged into a Feather Doubler with our OLED Feather Wing. And one of the cool things about this Feather Wing is it has these three sort of general purpose buttons that you can use connected up to pins nine, five, and six. And what I'm gonna do is simply press a button to make one of these three little squares appear. And in fact, I can turn them all on, all off, and combinations of those if I want. The way this works, if you look inside of my code, I've got some libraries to import, including the display shapes rectangle library. Then I set up the screen and I'm using this BG, which I'm just calling the background, is a rectangle that's at the zero zero position at the full width and height. And I've outlined it with white, even though the fill is black. Then I make these three shapes. Each of these are initially filled with black as well. I set up a button for button presses, and then in the main block of my code here, I check and see if a button is pressed of those three. When any of them are pressed, the associated box will change its fill using this command, shapes.fill, and then in this case, 0xffffff, uh, which is white. Uh, when the button is not being pressed, then we return it to black. And so it's a really quick and simple way to draw shapes on and off of the screen inside of CircuitPython using shapes and fill. And that is your CircuitPython Parsec.
All right, and then Friday is the second to last deep dive before Scott's going on break, so tune in. This is the USB host one. He showed some of the stuff on Show and Tell, so if you want to see some of the inner workings of CircuitPython and how we're doing things, especially now for some neat stuff with Raspberry Pi, check it out. So that is Fridays, 2 p.m. Yep. Pacific, 5 p.m. And IMX, NXP series too. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, and then we're gonna do RP2040, and then uh, we'll add USB host for both. Okay. Is yeah. this a secret? Is this like breaking news? No, 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 Is this no. a big deal? Like, no, I don't think. I don't think. So no, because you showed it off on the show and tell. Okay. I mean, if you watch show and tell. So now it's, now, now everyone's going to know. It's not a secret. No, I know. But this is, this is how rumors start. Shh. <laughs> right? No. But the, yeah. Like, and is it going to be possible for folks to try this out soon? Um, I think I so think Scott's going to he's going to be adding it, and then if you have like a teensy or you maybe so are you could use you could use like a teensy. Yes, gotcha. I think that's what he's that's what he showed on the the show and tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not a secret. No, I know. I you know because people see it and they're like, where is this? I want to try it now. Um, it's coming. Okay. Okay. Time travel. In the future, there'll be chips. <laughs> Uh, so, One year from now. So just a reminder, speaking of uh, part shortage, so our Adabox will be shipping. We're going to be shipping it seasonally. So what we decided to do, instead of trying to pick it to a holiday, which is nearly impossible now, we decided, well, let's do uh, seasonal editions. So this is winter-spring edition. Um, it'll probably technically be winter somewhere, but we hope to be shipping this out in the next 32, 60 days. So we're full, but go to adabox.com and sign up. And if there's people who are leaving or putting their subscriptions on pause, um, you can get a notification and sign up. So we have uh, thousands and thousands of people, so we can't add any more because we, there's not enough stuff on planet Earth. So if folks do decide to pause or cancel their subscriptions, you can jump in. All right, mailbag. This one's a little different this week. Instead of it being an email or a comment or something, this one is a tweet that we saw and it wasn't exactly addressed to us, but uh, kind of close. And so I grabbed this one. Um, so this is uh, one of my favorite uh, authors, she does these really cool comics about programming and stuff, and she said, what's a programming thing that used to be hard within the last five years that has become easy? Like, before you had to be an expert, now anyone can easily build something useful. Mm. And Space Enthusiast uh, nailed it and said, embedded devices. Before, you needed to buy an expensive kit and get lots of really complex software. Now, to make a tiny custom device, you can use Adafruit CircuitPython and one of their boards, plug into USB, edit main.py with a text editor, reset, and done. So not only were they able to um, explain how easy it is now, they got it into you know 140 characters, they wrote it on their phone, and they were able to talk about something that made their lives really easy. So this is like, you know, when you work on stuff, uh, it took years for us to make this that simple. Um, and it was neat to see all the things that people said were still hard and the things that people said were easy. So thank you so much, space enthusiast Hendrik, for um, the little shout out and more. Um, if you have something nice to say <laughs> on social media, I know it's not used for that, um, but you can use it for that. Uh, just tag us. Uh, you can also email support at Adafruit uh, if you have like, some good feedback for us, or you can put comments on our videos and more, but we read everything. Um, so uh, there's humans on the other side. So when you have something nice to say, we call these hug reports internally too. Not like physical hugs. Instead of bug reports, we say hug report. Um, and so people are like, hug report, so-and-so help me with whatever. So anyways. All right, let's do some retro tech. Okay. 
So, every single week, pretty much every single day, pretty much seven days a week, we post a glimpse of the past. And a lot of this, because I have to say why we're doing this, a lot of this is to help people, especially people that are just getting to electronics, people that are just using things to prototype, things that are, people that are doing, uh, using our stuff in particular for product design. It doesn't just have to be a uh, black rectangle. Um, you, there's lots of designs you can explore. It could be a yellow sphere. Yeah, and there's lots of mistakes in the past that you don't have to repeat either. So it's a combination of the two. So this was um, a keyboard that the Bloomberg terminals had. And we had taken these photos a while ago, but when Bloomberg was running for president, um, everyone, if, everyone just was angry about everything. So I just decided to hold on to these photos until now because I didn't want to get in a fight about like, should he be president or whatever. So this is a, uh, a Bloomberg terminal keyboard that they're not really that easy to get because they're usually attached to like a $20,000 terminal. So this one was like a sound thing inside of it. Um, here's all the cables that plug, inside, plug into it. So it was lots of different things. It was microphones, speakers, and um, pretty like much the speaker. everything. The speaker grill is really where it's yeah. at there. So kind of neat. And look at that big enter key. I mean, that's like the biggest enter key. It's ever. chunky. That's like buy. buy Press that. Like sell, buy it. Buy, sell, sell it. Sell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So other retro tech um, that we wanted to show is some controllers that um, you just don't see them anymore. So this is the Space Orb. It's a PC controller, parallel port or serial. It made some game controllers too, but you, you kind of twist this ball at the top, and it's a uh, six degrees of freedom, six DOF controller. And uh, they're not around anymore. Um, turns this out, is I don't know, weird. people don't really want to. Uh, but this is a, you know, explorations in user interfaces. Uh, this is a cassette tape player, but it's for a TRS-80. So you would use this to store and then read your computer programs. And I thought maybe Lady Ada could tell everyone, like, how exactly was that possible to store computer programs on an audio? Uh, it was like basically like a modem, like the beeps and the tones. Like I think the the ZX Spectrum did this, uh, TRS-80, and it would be for uh, loading programs, right? You wouldn't. I don't think you would save um, to it, but you could duplicate the cassettes, and then that's how you would duplicate a program. Although I guess you could, you yeah, know, you write, you write the you write the code, and then yeah. you could write it. But I don't know if you, I don't know how you could handle multiple devices, but it was, of course, very slow. Um, although, it's, ironically, tape is still used nowadays for archival purposes because yeah. it's so dense. Okay. Um, also, RetroTech this week, this is uh, one of my favorites. This is the um, QuickCam, the Connects QuickCam, and they later turned to uh, Logitech, and uh, look at this uh, series of cables. Took it up. It's, uh, I think, 256 grayscale. Um, and the other neat thing is it came in a box. And a rebate. And yeah, you got a rebate with stuff back in the day. And uh, even the box is interesting. So their theme was this like triangle that the webcam, wasn't really even called a webcam at the time. I think that you see, oh, you see me. Yeah. It was just called like a camera. Yeah, I don't know what it was called. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was just well, a camera. It was huh? called a quick cam. Quick cam. Um, and this was one of the first ways that uh, now every computer and every phone has a camera in it, but this was like one of the first this ones. This is a big deal. And the design is really interesting and weird. The, the base of it of it was a triangle and the packaging reflected that. You could rotate it within the triangle. That's why. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's So it was very clever. And uh, you know, a lot of things that came out back in the day, they they had to educate all of us about like what this is, how you use it, why you'd want it, and uh, 
you just don't see things uh, like this as much anymore. So this was in the 90s. Uh, let's keep going back in time. This is from 1972. Um, this is the Panasonic um, ball. It's a, it's a ball. Yeah, it's a Panasonic ball. Panasonic had some really uh, freaky, cool transistor radios. Uh, this is the R70, and I think it was called Panapet. Um, they had a whole series of things. And um, you would use this as a radio. They loved spheres. And yeah, and you would hang it somewhere. It was like a ball and chain radio. It was called Panavent. And the 70s because of the year. And you would tune in the radio stations and more. Um, you know, sometimes now you see some like interesting music players that are, that are not just like, you know, like an iPhone looking thing. And then this is a preview of something we're going to take photos soon. This is a Star Trek Deep Space Nine CD player for music. <laughs> Yeah. And you could see some of the things. You would listen to it on your oh, no. Starfleet <laughs> issue headphones, and you would look up things about Star Trek on your desk with your Star Trek encyclopedia. Look at the all-cars interface. And then you would use the official Star Trek cassette tape adapter to play this in your car. And uh, here's what it looked like. Kind of cool. Killer. All right, and that is uh, this week's retro. Yeah, stay tuned to all the social media channels and more. We do this every single day. That is a lot of retro. Yeah. All right. It's Python on Hardware time. Okay. So lots going on this week in the world of Python on Hardware. Okay. Um, we have over 256 CircuitPython boards, and to do, and we've passed this a while ago, but mm -hmm. we now have this graphic, so um, graphic. because we're clever. And uh, that's the, why don't you explain what these uh, letters and numbers mean when I it will. gets to 256. Okay, so the cool thing about CircuitPython is that anyone can contribute a new board. In fact, we have like new boards almost weekly, basically. Um, people can design their own hardware and um, submit support. And uh, they do it automatically and we approve it and merge it in. And then um, we can down, you can download your firmware that's updated automatically for you at circuitpython.org slash downloads. And we recently um, got over 256 boards, and 256 is a magical number because it's um, the, ma the maximum number that can fit into an 8-bit number, which is how computers store data. And so, like, kind of when you get over that, you're like, it's a big deal. It's like when humans turn 100, when your software project turns 256, same thing. Um, so we finally got to 256. I think we're actually up to 260 something by now um, with more boards coming in. And uh, it's a good sign of a, of a healthy uh, community because it means people are submitting um, their designs. People are, are trying to add boards. And the most important thing is it's not just Adafruit boards. Um, there's CircuitPython, there's Pimeroni, there's Seed. There's other there's contributors. There's more Adafruit boards. Sorry, there's more boards that aren't Adafruit yes, boards than by far. Than board, which is like, that's the sign of success, we think. It's just yeah. like, cool, like... Uh, if you're interested in doing electronics and running a business or making hardware and not having to reinvent everything over and over, you can just build on top of CircuitPython. And every time there's an update to CircuitPython, your board gets updated too. Yeah. So. Anyways, um, CircuitPython 7.2.0 has released Candidate Zero. Is there anything in this release that uh, is super interesting that folks should try um, out? 7.2.1 RC... Sorry, 710 RC, whatever. The, the previous version was a little bit of a mistake. So basically, just make sure you've updated to the latest. Uh, there was a little bit of a number confusion. Um, but the most important thing that I think people really dig is that we now have board.stem underscore I2C, which means that um, if you have a board that has a STEM IQT connector and uh, you, know, you want to make sure that your 
your I2C sensor is connecting through that, you can now use this like short, happy name. And it was also a um, community contribution. Um, I can't remember the top of my, um, my head who the contributor was. Um, so check that out. And then um, we, of course, are adding ESP32, S3, and C3 support, including BLE. More to come with that. A lot of cool BLE news coming up soon. Okay. Um, I'm going to save the Winamp thing for my little highlight. Um, we have a ton of projects. One thing I wanted to spotlight is the Python Software Foundation has a couple cool jobs. Uh, do check that out if you're interested in helping out on how they can deploy accounts in PyPy. Um, they have a couple roles that open up. Um, we try to help them out with things. Um, the projects of the week, um, you could see a bunch, but the ones that I'm going to pick this week is... A little bit of a reminder, the CircuitPython show will be coming out on March 1st. That's next week. First guest will be Katney. Here is a very cool CircuitPython-based project using Raspberry Pi, CircuitPython. These are blinky eyes that are also disco balls. I wanted to show that. I think I saw these at the Elton yes. John show. Yes. <laughs> And then um, the project I wanted to highlight this week is uh, there's a lot of folks who remember Winamp. Who didn't download all their files from Napster and use Winamp? That's right. A lot of folks did. And uh, just for the one guy out there who uh, doesn't like uh, Winamp now because uh, we're, we're playing around with it with Python, this is a beginner project that we want folks to try out. So it doesn't support everything that Winamp does, not yet. But so, it's a great beginner yeah. project. And so we put this thing on there. We're like, by the way, this is to get you started so you can remake Winamp. You can download the skins. You can convert them. And then you can play M MP3s. And uh, But so, it does have the scrolling text. Yeah. And it does have so, like, the number going up. Which and is so fun. one of the things that we decide to do often is here's a project that's easy to do that can get folks started. It's, it's, not, um, it's not everything. A, it's not everything. And it's not a thing that you need to join and you're going to spend your entire life doing, you can get started and play around with it. So uh, Tim Fomiga did a really good job. I want to do a, a hug report and shout out to Tim. Um, but this is really neat because this is kind of exactly what I wanted, which was like, I just want it to look like the Winamp player. I want to be able to mess around with some old skins. I want to be able to play MP3s, which I still use. And I want to have that nostalgia. And I want to maybe make like a little physical holder for it. So I can make my own music player that all it does is music. It doesn't go online. It doesn't do anything to the music. So that, that was the goal of the project. So Tim's going to uh, explain it in this video. Um, but very cool. And if you're interested, you can uh, check out the guide and then check out the collection of the thousands of skins. You probably had these uh, on your computer in the past. And you can remake those and play your music again. Hello, everyone. In this video, I'll show you my latest project for the Pi Portal. This is a Winamp MP3 player. This runs on the Pi Portal. You can fit loads of MP3 files on the SD card, which is plugged into the back of the Pi Portal. You store your playlist files as JSON right on the CircuitPy drive, uh, so you can add and remove songs from your playlist. You can keep multiple playlists and swap between them uh, simply by editing the files. There are three invisible buttons on the interface of the Pi Portal. The whole top half will pause and resume the music. Right now, my microphone is not capturing the music, but I have just uh, started it to resume, and you can see it's now counting up there. So I can press it again to pause. You can also use the bottom half of the screen to go to the next and previous track. So if I touch in the bottom right, we will advance to the next track. The playlist at the bottom will update. The current track title on the top right will update. 
and we could resume to hear the second song now. Same thing with the previous button. The uh, Probably the neatest thing about this latest project is that you can actually customize it. So what I have right here is the base Winamp theme, but you can actually browse through hundreds of different Winamp skins on the Winamp Skin Museum. Find the one you want, download it by right-clicking it, and choose Save Image As. Go ahead and save this file, and then you run a conversion script on your PC, copy the resulting files to your CircuitPy drive, and then you just have to change these two variables here in the code Pi to update to your favorite new custom skin. So grab your Pi portal, load up all your favorite tunes. Thank you for watching. So if you ever want to design your own music player, have something that's not internet connected, just play your music and play around with user interfaces and more, you can do that with Python and you can take a trip to, um, I forgot the name of the site. Uh, someone could put it in the chat. I think it's like winampskins.org or something. It's the Winampskin Museum. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple of them. And you just Google Winampskin Museum. Yeah. And uh, you can get this newsletter every single week. Over on Adafruit Daily, we have a completely separate site because we don't spam people. We don't harvest emails. We don't have that pop-up thing that comes on a website when you buy something from us. We don't subscribe you to newsletters. Um, so we went above and beyond, and we have a whole separate site. So if you want this newsletter delivered to you, that's where you do it. All right. We're an open source hardware company. Although, Are we? I, although, although I had a thing that I was going to say. So um, we were corresponding with an organization and uh, you know, you and I talk about open source hardware because we, we get asked the same question a lot. One of the questions is, was the business model behind an open source hardware company? Why should I do open source hardware? Why, why are you worried about people cloning your stuff? Why should I get my open source hardware certified? And I think I finally figured out what we do. We do something different, and we just happen to also do open source hardware and it's open like source sec software. Secondary effect. Yeah, it's it. It took me a while to figure this out. Like like almost 20 years, mm -hmm. what we're actually doing. I know. Sometimes so, to find yourself, you know, it's a quite a journey. You end up back where you started. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a quote. I'll, I'll, I'll change the... Uh, a person who steps into the river uh, isn't the same person each time, and the river is different each, either. When you think about it, the water's moving, things in, in the river itself are moving, you're different. So, you know, when I was thinking about this, we just happen to also do open source hardware. And when I'm... Uh, what I'm trying to do is figure out what we what we actually do. I think we're a cause and a force of nature that helps people learn things. And we share electronics, we share code. And one of the outputs of this idea that we're always going to give give more um, in this world is it, it just happens to be open source hardware. Um, and we have things like guides. We have 2,226 of them. But I, I think the next time you're asked or I'm asked like what we are, I don't think I'm going to say an open source hardware company. I'm going to say we teach people electronics and sharing and you know, hopefully good things. And one of the outputs just happens to be open source hardware. Anyway, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, it's the been a step journey. of a thousand miles yeah. starts with one step. So we have 2,626 guides. Lady Ada, what that's nice, 2626? Are, yeah, 2626. You know, this week was 22222 as well. Yeah. So it's a, it's a uh, week of numbers. Lots of twos this week. I got three new guides this week. We've got the floppy drive case for three and a quarter and five and a half inch disk drives from Noah and Pedro. Um, I asked them to make this because my drives were just hanging out like all jiggly joggly all over my desk. 
Uh, I thought it would be good to protect them from accidental spills and dust. Um, because usually they're inside cases, um, tower cases, and they don't um, have, they're not exposed to the outside world. Uh, I've also got from Katni a guide update for the ESP32-S2 TFT Feather. She's adding more uh, tutorial pages on using the TFT and built-in sensors. People have been asking for that. And of course, from Tim C, we've got uh, the now famous Pi Portal Winamp MP3 player guide. Uh, turn your Pi Portal, and uh, he'll be updating it also for the Pi Portal Titano, perhaps. Um, you can turn it into a very simple MP3 player. Yeah, and um, C. Grover has a really good uh, point with this, is the Winamp implementation is a really good example of how skins can be designed and coded for other projects too. So that's like kind of the point. It's like everyone sees these Winamp skins, and it's like, well, what if you wanted to make that work on this? Mm. And it teaches you that. So I, that's why I think these, these projects are a really good idea. Um, someone in the chat said, is there any uh, clone, you know, like hardware that you could just like, run Winamp skins on. Not yet, but this is one step towards that. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Okay, let's do some main New York City factory footage. And it wouldn't be Adafruit factory footage unless you saw our view out our front window now. So this is the uh, Disney headquarters we're building across the street. This used to be a view of the skyline and the water, the uh, nature, Hudson River. I don't know about that. Birds. But, so uh, <laughs> this is what we have now. Now it's. Yeah. Okay. That. Let's uh, talk about some 3D printing. I have a thing I'm going to talk about. Man, this um, week is full of things. I'm going to talk about a thing, and just to give you all some ideas of uh, what we're trying to do. So, um, we emailed the PR folks at MakerBot because we saw that when you go and try to download the files, so if you go to thingiverse.com slash Adafruit, and uh, you try to download the files now, something's changed. What's changed? Well, if you have an ad blocker on, it says, hey, you can't download the files if you have an ad blocker on. You see this on all sorts of sites around the internet. It's new on Thingiverse. And um, so if you go to the website and you don't have a web blocker on, or if you, you know, use incognito mode or private mode, 
um, it says, okay, well, um, cool. You're going to download stuff now. And it looks like they're getting ready to have these, like this ad stuff. And then there's a, uh, ad for try Amazon prime 30 day free trial. So comments aside about business models and how to do things that wasn't what, uh, Thingiverse was when we started uploading our files. And so I sent a note to MakerBot and Thingiverse and I said, hey, when did you do this change? Because that seems really recent. I just want to know so we can do a little blog post and tell our community when Thingiverse started doing this. And then um, what ad network are you using? And is there a way to report uh, potentially bad ads, problematic ads, or malware? This happens on ad, work, all, ad networks all the time. Um, one thing that I kind of know that happens with ad networks is Someone's going to go and be told, oh, hey, students, go to Thingiverse and download these yeah. Adafruit files. They're going to click the thing, and it's going to show an ad that's not great. And a teacher is going to say, hey, Adafruit, just so you know, your, your stuff is next to not great ads. And I wanted to ask Thingiverse, is there a way to report bad ads or something? We host our files in all sorts of different places because that's what one should do. Um, we like to put our files in one place and then syndicate everywhere. It's a good strategy. What was like, it was like, Marty said it was PLOS. It was like publish once, syndicate. Host on your own site and then syndicate everywhere else. Yeah. So like we do that. So if you see a photo on our Instagram, it's also on Twitter. It's also on our own website. Mm -hmm. It's also on Flickr because uh, who knows what's going to happen in all those other places. If it's on Facebook, don't worry. We also have it on, you know, Twitter yeah. too. So, um, we're just trying to get more information, and we also, uh, it's not helpful to like dunk and shame people. I, well, I should say it's effective, but it's just not our style. So um, we're a little weirded out because this isn't what, you know, we, this isn't what we use Thingiverse for. We don't get a cut of the ad revenue. Yeah. Um, I don't even think we'd ask for that. And so the other thing I asked, did you talk to any creators? Because I think we're one of the more popular destinations on Thingiverse. And the MakerBot folks, the PR folks there, they've always been responsive to give them credit. So um, I dropped them a note. Uh, if I need to, what I'll do is I'll send them a link to this portion of the video so they can see what, you know, they can hear our voice. Um, we just want to know what's up. And, like, can we opt out of this? And, like, is there other things that we can do? Because I, I know what's going to happen is a teacher is going to say, there's an ad that's not great next to your files. What are you doing about it, Adafruit? So basically, because they can get a hold of us and we're held to a very high standard, they're going to, you know, Hopefully they'll be nice about it, but I think that's what's going to happen. So anyways, I'm going to show two videos back to back. This is the transparent cates for the floppies and then a speed up of a cool 3D printed fish. Hey, what's up folks? In this project, we're making 3D printed cases for floppy drives. We designed and 3D printed these cases for both five and a quarter and three and a half inch floppy drives. They're designed to slip over your standard floppy drives without any hardware and they feature an embossed pattern of little Adafruit logos. This was printed with translucent PLA filament and sliced with only shells and no infill. The transparency is clear enough to make out the internal parts and it looks pretty cool. To install, just slip the floppy drive into the sleeve with the back end going in first. We designed the sleeve with the recess on one side so you can stack a three and a half inch floppy drive on top. We think the case gives off vibes from the 90s clear electronics trend. Links to the CAD files are available in the description of this video. 
We hope this inspires you to 3D print your next project enclosure in translucent filament and bring back the nostalgia. Thanks so much for watching and be sure to subscribe for more retro projects from Adafruit. Okay, and if you want to learn how to make all this stuff and more, tune in to 3D Hangouts every Wednesday at 11 a.m. And uh, yeah, anyways, uh, thanks for the good feedback, folks. Folks are like, yeah, thanks for reaching out to Thingiverse about talking about this. Our goal isn't to like avoid ads and do that, although I can completely understand why one does. I just want to know what's up and um, help our community make good decisions on where they host their files, how to report bad ads. Um, every single ad network in some way has had malware that sneaks in. Um, and, you know, Thingiverse, we've all kind of grown up together with it. It's yeah. been part of this open source community for a while. And a lot of people, especially educators, use it to download our files. So we just want to know what's going on. All right, let's uh, do some INMPI lady, you know? INMPI. All right, so we found out, uh, well, we, we knew that Maxim Integrated is now part of Analog Devices, but we really found out now because we were gonna link to the Maxim Integrated Twitter account and it's like, nope, gone. So uh, yeah. this week's INMPI is for sure, it's Maxim Integrated, but it is, it is, it is Analog Devices. Okay, it's, it is. it's both. But it is though. The part number is a Max part number. Um, so this week's INMPI is the uh, Max 31888. Um, it's a new uh, hyper, precision, high accuracy, one wire temperature sensor um, that's available from Maxim, um, which I think purchased Dallas Semi because the DS series was the DS18 B20, and this is clearly kind of a, a next generation. So yeah, these companies, they just kind of squish together a lot, um, but that's great. They're all analog devices now. Congratulations to ADI. Um, so again, this week's new product is the Max 31888. It's a uh, one-wire temperature sensor, but it also has a unique uh, NIST traceable 64-bit um, identifier, and it has like three GPIO as well. And um, it's it kind of does like a lot of stuff going on there. And you know, it's a little bit specialty. It looks like this probably goes into somebody's product. Like I have some uh, ideas of what that might be. Um, but uh, I thought it would be also useful if you have any kind of temperature monitoring um, that you have to do, especially if you have either a very limited number of pins that you want to use for temperature modeling, um, because like the DS18B20, um, this is a uh, parasitically powered 
sensor. So one wire, like don't, people don't talk about it as much as I squared C. I squared C is the most popular uh, sensor protocol right now. But one wire, which started with uh, Dallas Semi and is, is now owned by Maxim, um, is kind of neat in that you only, like they say one wire, but it's really two wires. You need ground and then one data slash power wire. And that's half as many as I squared C, which uses four wires and a lot fewer than SPI that can use, you know, five or more because you need power, ground, and then three or four data lines. Um, so you only need one wire, and that one wire is used for power and data. You can see the diode inside um, this uh, simplified block diagram, um, and it can parasitically power. You just need to give it uh, a single capacitor to help that parasitic power. Um, so like I think a one microfarad or so is, is good enough. And then you, all you need is uh, the ground wire and the data power wire, and you can chain as many as you want, which is kind of neat. Um, and there's also a special case here where you can use the GPIO pins as kind of pseudo addresses. So you can have eight, you, you can have as many as you want on one wire, but if you want to like be able to kind of sub address them, you can use the GPIO, GPIO wires as well. Um, I thought, you know, one of the examples they had in the data sheet for what this could be used for is cold chain monitoring. And cold chain monitoring is something that nobody used to know about two years ago. And now everybody knows about because it's how we um, trans, transmit, sorry, uh, transport vaccines around the world. Vaccines, some of them have to be kept very cold, negative 80 degrees, and you want to make sure that at no point do they heat up. Um, so if you have a big box, let's say you have, you know, a, a pallet that has vaccines in it, um, and the box is maybe a meter by a meter by a meter, you want to be able to measure the temperature at every corner. So that would be um, six different sensors and one, one in the center and make sure that at no point does any uh, side of the box get under negative 80, get above negative 80 degrees. You could use something like this and you would have minimum wiring. Like you wouldn't have to pass a long uh, chain of I squared C cables and, and bus expanders around. You would just use two wires and they all connect um, onto that one bus. Another thing that's really uh, nice about one wire is it's designed for long distances. Um, unlike uh, I squared C, which is um, you know, power ground, SDA, SCL, and some pull-ups, and it's really only meant for like maybe, you know, 200 millimeters. Um, you can easily put I squared C bus on with just a pull-up resistor on 200 meters of cabling um, using a Cat5 cable, which is a lot, like 200 meters total. That's that's a ton. And here is there's uh, some examples of different topographies you can use, and it's up to you whether you want to use star or bus or, you know, stubs. And, and they have um, some examples also of if you have a um, active driver, like they have specialty chips for active driving of ice of one wire, you can go up to 500 meters. So, um, you know, a cable like this, that would be very tough to do with I squared C. This is a one wire temperature sensor. So um, this sensor kind of builds on the, you know, DS18B20 popular series. Uh, it's a 0.25 degrees, uh, centigrade um, accurate compared to 0.5 degree. Um, and of course, has those extra GPIO pins um, that, that the DS18B20 doesn't only has uh, one pin for, for power and data and then, and then ground. So, um, you know, it could be good for battery packs, for cold storage, for data logging, um, ultra low power um, temperature and uh, GPIO control. There's also a handy dandy eval board available um, that you can use from Maxim, which has a sensor, and then an I2C to one-wire converter. If you haven't used one-wire, do check it out. It's very reliable. Um, it's really good for temperature sensing. There's a couple other, you know, there's EEPROM and I think 
Um, microchip also has a secure element that's one wire as well. So it, it you know it is available for multiple um, uh, different manufacturers and is great when you really just want you know one wire simplicity and long distance support for sensing. Okay, available on DigiKey. Um, you can actually get it. It's in stock. Yeah. Uh, it's available right now, both the avail board and individual chips. There's a short URL. There is the DigiKey ID. And don't forget, Maxim Integrated is now part of Analog Devices. Analog Devices. And that's right on MPI. Hi, on MPI. Okay, well, um, we're going to do new products in a second or so, um, but don't forget the code. TOF sensor or 2F sensor. Time of flight sensor. Or TOF. TOF's Ensor. TOF's. Any of those work, but you just have to put the letters in the right order. All right, lady, are you ready? Yes. Okay. No. No. Okay, what's up this week, Lady Ada? Uh, okay, first up, we've got a one millimeter 26 pin FPC cable. I'm gonna be using this for some floppy stuff, so just hold on tight to this. Uh, it you know, came in before the floppy stuff did, um, but that's when we use it for. It's uh, floppy disks. Floppy disk drives used in laptops use this cable, and I wanted an extra. Um, next up, we have a gorgeous, uh, even the people who are fabricating it were like, this is a really good looking a nice screen. TFT screen. It's a 1.47 inch, uh, 172 by 320 pixel IPS display using the very popular and well-supported ST7789 chipset. Um, it's uh, very easy to wire up and use with the Arduino CircuitPython libraries. You just uh, set the resolution to 172 by 320 and it's you know extremely high uh, PPS, uh, pixels per square inch. I think it's 220, which is I think the, the highest density we've got, um, or very close to the 1.3. And on the back, it's also got an iSpy connector. Uh, so you can use it with a breadboard with the breakout pads. Uh, it can be used with three or five volt logic and power. Has a micro SD card slot if you wanna store images or animations on it as well and share with the SPI port. And then the iSpy connector makes it very easy for you to wire it up if you want to put the display far away. So yeah. um, a lovely little display will have its big sister, the 1.9 inch, in the store shortly. All right, did you want to show it off? Uh, yes, anywhere? I can show it off. Okay. Hold on, let me get real close because it's real small. Hold on. Yeah. Let's flip it around. I like that we have really good photos of our stuff. However, I do like that we are able to always do live demos of yes. our stuff because I feel like that that means it actually is kind of easy to use. Proof of life. It, it, it does mean something a little different because um, you could see it turned on. Like, yeah, you know, stuff over video cameras and web cameras and all that. But, you um, see angles. But I you mean, could, this is an IPS display. Like, this is pretty good. IPS display. So it's very beautiful. It's got that round rect. Uh, oh, people ask. Round rectangle displays are made by deleting pixels. There isn't like some weird like radial squishing. Uh, yeah. So, you know, if at the beginning when you see it display some text, uh, the display gets cut off. Yeah. So that's how it works. Okay. So anyways, so here's the beautiful photos. They're all beautiful. good. We, have, we love our beautiful photos, but uh, I like the live demos too. Okay, next up. Okay, next up, we have a new time of flight sensor. That's the TOF sensor for the code. Uh, which you can get 10% off this sensor uh, if you're watching this live. This is a new time of flight sensor from ST. 
Um, this sensor, uh, they you know they've done the VL6180, and then they went to the VL53. Uh, L0X and then the 53L1X, and those got up to like four meter distance. This one is a shorter meter distance. This is 1.3 meters distance, but it's good for closer up. Um, according to the data sheet, it can do as little as one meter, one millimeter away. Um, so it's good for closer measurements because um, it can, you know, the other sensors kind of can't do less than one inch, one and a half inches away, and this one can do less than that. Uh, and it's got Arduino library support right now. We'll be working on CircuitPython library support. So if the text description says it's got it, by the time you watch this video, it does. But um, as you know, this chip just came out and we got it real fast into the store um, using the Arduino library and thought I could show it All off right, shut up. as well. Another live uh, demo. Yeah, and you can see the little sensor. It's kind of nice. And you can see it's, uh, it got me moving up and down. Hold on. That works. Huh? That works. It does work, and it doesn't display if I'm too far away. So, um, a still time of flight sensor. Uh, you know, I think this one is good if you just need um, closer measurements. You know, if you don't need up to four meters, if you only need one and one and a quarter meters away, uh, then this one will do the job very well. Okay. And then uh, next up. It's a revision, but it's a well-loved revision. People um, really enjoyed the pink feather RP2040 that we put into the shop as a freebie over uh, the winter holiday. And uh, we thought, let's just make all of our RP2040 boards pink. And so now our classic 4884 feather RP2040, same exact design, but now pinker, not black, pink with black silk screen. It looks gorgeous. Um, and if you uh, order them now, that's what you'll get. Yeah. So thank you everyone who said more pink boards. Pink, pink, pink. You said it. We listened. And KB then, 2040 last week, this week, the Feather yeah. RB 2040. All right. And then the star of the show tonight, besides you, lady, our community, our customers, our staff running things behind the scenes and more is? The new Feather ESP32 uh, V2. This is a really big, fresh upgrade to the Feather ESP32, one of our most popular feathers. Because of the chip shortage, I can't get CP2104s anymore. That's the USB serial chip. And so I had to update to the CP2102, which has a slightly different schematic usage. And so it was like, well, I got to go fix that up to revise this board so I can keep manufacturing it. And then before you know it, I kind of like remodeled the whole thing. So the whole board has gotten like a huge update, um, which is great. Uh, so let's just stop here because I can, I can point at it while it's nice and big. Um, on the right there, uh, it used to be a Warum module, and now it's the Pico module. Um, the Pico module is an ESP32 with eight megabytes of flash and two megabytes of PSRAM. So that's twice the amount of flash and then extra PSRAM that was not available on the original ESP32. That's super handy if you're buffering data or you just want like, um, you want to have a camera interface or a buffer, uh, a display output. Uh, read large JSON files, parse them. That PSRAM is so handy, and it, the, the ESP, IDF, and Arduino just natively just you know map that memory in, and so you can use it. It's not as fast as the SRAM, but um, it's great for again large data buffering. Um, to the lower left of that, there is a new NeoPixel on it. The ESP32 did not have a NeoPixel, now it does, uh, and the power pin is on another GPIO, so you can go into low power usage. And that's another thing. We really optimize this feather for better low power support. Um, so the um, NeoPixel can be turned off. 
And then there's a separate LDO right above it for the Stemma QT connector. That's the kind of yellow four pin connector above that. You can get down to 70 uh, microamps of power draw while in deep sleep for the ESP32, which is pretty good because um, you know you can wake up from deep sleep with the RTC on at, at any timer interval you'd like. Um, the Stemma QT port uh, is also new on there. It's a vertical port and allows you to connect um, you know, any of our dozens of Stemma QT or uh, you can use a Grove adapter to connect Grove I2C sensors or from SparkFun, um, their quick sensors. Or a, There's a lot of companies now making um, sensors with this adapter cable, so it's plug and play, no soldering required, and you can turn off power um, separately to this port, uh, again, with that GPIO pin. Um, there is a USB serial converter, which is now updated to a SCP-2102. It can now do three megabits. There's also an extra uh, tactile button on pin 38. Uh, and the USB has been updated from micro B to USB-C. So you can see like a lot of new stuff. It's pretty much pin compatible with the original Feather ESP32. Um, all, the, um, all the numbers are on the back. The named pins like um, SDA, SCL, um, MOSI, MISO, S-Clock, TX and RX, those did change the underlying pin number because um, in order to get the PS RAM, you know, one pin disappeared and one, once one pin disappears, it kind of turns into this, uh, uh, you know, every pin has to sort of change. And so the numbered pins didn't change and the analog pins didn't change, but the named I squared C, SPI and UART pins did change. So just in your code, you'll have to recompile it, uh, which you'll need to anyway to take advantage of the extra flash and PS RAM because uh, you have to select a new board support package. Um, just make sure you use the, the words like MOSI, MISO, uh, SDA, SCL, RX, TX, and that will automatically translate into the numbers. Don't use the underlying like pin seven names for it. Um, but otherwise this should work, drop in with pretty much any of your Feather ESP32 projects. Uh, and it's just a big upgrade around the, you know, just everything got upgraded and updated. It's so much better more pin labels on the top. Um, so I'm really psyched to release this, more mounting holes. So good, Feather ESP32. Good work. Well, just a reminder, uh, tough sensor. That's the code, 10% off in the native fruit store. Um, okay. What we're gonna do is we're gonna do some top secret. While we're doing top secret, load up your questions. I already got some lined up in the chat. Um, go to adafruit.com it slash discord or discord.gg slash adafruit and uh, join tens of thousands of us and we're going to answer your questions in just a sec but let's do some top secret from the adafruit vault it's a secret but not really because we broadcast it live okay um, first up we're going to play a little video this is the esp32 v2 yes uh, it's top secret version of the video and then we're gonna uh, show a couple other things. All right, Lady Ada, what is this? This is a new product that's just about ready to come off the machine line. This is the ESP32 Feather V2. It's a kind of a whole respin of our uh, Huzzah ESP32 Feather. And what I'm doing is I'm checking it against the fabrication print. This is the CAM file. Uh, and I've removed all like the copper traces to see the components and the names and the values so I can verify that what this is is the same as what this is and like once in a while i catch a mistake or two because it's kind of confusing there's so many components and they're packed so tight but this i think is ready to go we're going to put this through the oven and then we're going to test on our tester and if it's good we'll put it in the store cool. 
Okay, and then you have a couple designs. Yeah, I was um, thinking of, you know, this Pico module on the Feather ESP32 V2 is kind of cute. Um, it's smaller than I thought, and so I thought I'd maybe design an itsy bitsy version. So it's the top and this is the bottom um, for it. And then I've got uh, the pinout diagram, which uh, using pretty pins, is very, it makes it very easy for me to make sure that all the analog pins are really all analog and, you know, um, all, you know, the, all the GPIO pins um, have the functionality that I, I might want. So, uh, out for prototype. Okay, and uh, stay tuned all week as we show some sneak peeks and more. And then, of course, next week for our top secret segment, lady, let's do some questions. And yes. And uh, we're going to get out of here. I'm doing it. Okay. I'm ready. So, uh, let's do the questions. I'm going to do a couple first, and then uh, we'll get to these. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Um, so, if we're doing a product pick, and uh, we don't have a ton of stock, sorry. Um, it happens, uh, there is a global part shortage, but we're gonna try to always make sure whenever we do the product uh, pick on Tuesdays that there's enough in stock, but things are just moving really fast, sorry about that. Um, next up, um, how far out is ESP32 at Bitsy? can you oh, say? Oh, it's, or it's a few okay. months. I mean, I just put together a schematic last weekend. Okay, next up, uh, is there a way to use a time of flight sensor in a floating point way, sub-millimeter measurement? It does not guarantee sub-millimeter precision, so it will not be useful to get okay. any lower number. What is a safe way to bend the 0.5 inch pins on a T0 or TO92 transistor to a 0.1 inch to use with a breadboard without damaging the pins? Um, the safest way is you grab the, the part nearest to the body with one pair of needle nose pliers and then use the other pair to twist. So you're, you're keeping the pin, you don't wanna bend the pin against the body, you wanna bend the pin in the middle of it and that's the safest way. And this is cheap way to send Winamp to on a Pi. Well, I think there's you can run Winamp I, on a Pi. I now. think I don't think you have to pay for anything. <laughs> so no. cheap as far as uh, your time. Um, I don't know. Like, isn't there a Debian Winamp player? I think Winamp yeah. got. I mean, I, look, I only ran on Windows at the time, but I'm pretty sure that yeah. there's been either forks or, or skinned versions of other MP3 players. Um, have you seen any data on how many microcontrollers the average person has? Just curious with all the SAMD RP2040 Espressive. So, 5, so I would say, um, I'll just refine the question. I'll help out a little bit. So I'd say average person is very different than like, you know, an electronic enthusiast. Yeah. So <laughs> the average person has zero. <laughs> yeah. So it, it does seem to be that, uh, cause we talked to like some of our partners who do a lot of research. It does seem like th there's folks who are completely committed to one platform forever for everything. Like I'm a pick person, that's it. Mm -hmm. And then there's a pretty large group of people that have lots of different ones, especially now. Um, one of the things that we see, if you're an Adafruit customer, and um, I'll actually tell you how many, uh, how many orders we're up to like as of right now, just to give you an idea, Adafruit's been around, you know, 10, 15 years, you know, things have taken off um, rapidly in the last few years. Um, but we're up to 2,700,090,776 orders. Uh, so there's a big chunk of our customers who do repeat orders who have almost one of each, like whatever new processor is, because it seems like the business is the new business. So, so they're really pushing what they want to do with electronics. So it's, it's growing, but I would say because Arduino was around for a long time, um, and then we did uh, CircuitPython on the SAMDs, there's a lot of SAMDs, but then, yeah. but now because there's none available. What's, are they asking what's the most popular? Or they just, just want to know is like what which ones people use the most. I think a lot of people have Arduinos, Espressif. Yeah, it's changing really fast. You know, an RP2040. I think. I mean, I think um, Raspberry yeah. Pi did publish how many RP2040 chips and boards that they have sold so far. 
I don't have it offhand, so check uh, check the Raspberry Pi blog. I think they did post about it. Yeah. Uh, Okay, next up. Uh, okay, I designed an RP a Raspberry Pi based system to display distance for my friend and you to use backlighting. Sorry, backing his boat into a slip. Is there a way to waterproof a time of flight sensor? Um, I think the time of flight sensor can go behind a glass piece. Um, definitely more so than a sonar, although there are waterproof sonars. Um, check the dev notes, the app notes for the time of flight sensor. It's design, you know, I think you can go behind glass, um, but it has to be a glass that lets the light through. So uh, I don't know off the top of my head what yeah. thickness or type of glass. Um, would it be useful to apply pretty pins to break out and feathering boards in addition to MPUs? Um, I don't think so because usually um, breakout boards, the, the pin has only one usage, right? It's like, it's, in general, it's like, this is the power pin, this is the SDA pin, this is the interrupt pin. Whereas the issue with microcontroller boards is the microcontroller GPIO pins can be like eight different things. So if you look at the pretty pins with the ESP32, it's like, it can be a timer, it can be like, you know, an analog input, it can be um, a high-speed SPI. Like there's so many capabilities and, and you know, with circoms on the SAMDs, those, you know, those are so mix and match. Um, that's when you really need a diagram to look at because it's, it's hard to look at a list and be able to pick out which ones have the capability you need because you're kind of like mapping in your head. Okay, I need four PWMs, I need like three circoms, and I need like an analog input. Which, what's the combination of pins that I can yeah. use? Okay, um, next up. Uh, how's the flooper duper board? Floppy um, flooper board going? The flooper, I'm waiting to finish the feather wing first. And the feather wing, I did get prototype PCBs, so. Hopefully this put it, I hopefully this spin is correct. Chugging along. And it'll be in the source soon. Okay. Uh, any news about the Rev C of the Cutie Pie ESP32 S2? Um, I hopefully that the the PCBs are in are correct and we'll be able to get to them in the next few weeks. A lot of okay. stuff got delayed due to Lunar New Year yeah. and lockdowns and transportation issues. So this couple of stuff is delayed a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I think that is everything for now. Oh, here we go. Uh, what do you suggest as your best learning source, learning sources outside the guides on the site? Any name sources come to mind? Um, well, it, actually, there's someone in replying in the chat. The question is, what are you trying to learn? Um, I think Mark in the chat is uh, working on some learn to PCB type stuff. Mm. But it depends on what you're trying to learn. I would say stop by Instructables, type the thing you're looking for, see if things come up. Hackster would be another one. I'm just talking about Did like- Did actually elect- a lot of learning electronic, videos too? Yeah, electronic world. Um, YouTube, uh, besides Google, uh, YouTube is a very popular search because you get to see something that you want to possibly build. So I would say start with all those things first. Um, but if you want more like structured learning or more like curated, edited learning, check out uh, magazine.com and look at the Maker Shed and figure out what Maker Books there are. Um, there's a bunch, you can look at our blog as far as topics, and we, uh, we're we crazy. We link to everybody and everything, and competitors and things that we don't sell. So our blog has a lot of resources of things that you might want to learn. Um, so anyways. Okay. That's our show for tonight. 
Oh, no more questions? Oh, I got them. No, I think I got You got a long, there's so much it's stuff you can learn. I mean, like the educational resources out there are incredible. Um, I mean, yeah, this is, it, this is like the best time. There's no, no, no time like the present. Uh, no matter what you learn, there's people sharing information about it. Yeah. Even buying picking places. When we bought one, there was no information. Now there's some information yeah. about it. Yeah, and uh, Mark had a good follow-up comment. Um, find the project you want to do, and all of the learning resources kind of come after that. Now, yeah. It's not like the old days where it's like, okay, I need to learn everything before I could do a project. Now, yeah. you can actually probably find the project you want to do, and then you're like, oh, I've never used Arduino, so I'll kind of pick up some of that. Oh, like, I know a little bit of Python. I'll do the CircuitPython thing. Um, if you go to either our learn system or Instructables or somewhere, let's say if you wanted to have uh, light up LEDs on a costume, that's definitely there. If you wanted to have some type of robot that did something, that's there. So, um, you know, the only thing that's hard to do now is probably decide what you want to do. I know. Versus trying to find it's the things. A, it's the focus that's tough. All right, well, it's a great show yeah. we had. Jam packed. The show. This is like the biggest show in the world. It's it's the it's the biggest live electronic show at 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Um, on online, I think. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's our show. Thank you everyone who's helped out in the chat tonight. Um, very much appreciated. It. Please consider picking up some top sensor as a code. You save off. a bunch of money and you get free stuff. Uh, special thanks to Takar, who's running things behind the scenes here at Adafruit in the Slack channel. Special thanks to all the Discord moderators and all the helpful community. Um, you know what's great is hanging out in the Adafruit community because it means it's possible. It means there's a place where everyone can show and share stuff together. It is a nice break from a lot of the chaos and not so great things in our lives. So thanks everybody for doing this and hanging out together and keeping it going. It's been a long time for the last couple of years, but this is what This is the did. longest March this in is, the world. Yeah, January was long, um, but we're calling out of this. And then like this one little update, because I didn't do it in the beginning of the show, is starting next week at Adafruit, um, we've been cautiously optimistic about the COVID numbers, and uh, we're doing uh, mass in common areas, but then um, all of our, our entire team's vaccinated. So um, at their desk locations and everything, including Lady and I, we're distant from folks, we're going back to not having to wear a mask because everyone's vaccinated. So um, things are looking good here. Just to give you a little bit of uh, information on the ground here in New York City. Um, we've been going out and doing things, enjoying New York City again, seeing friends like that nice have been out. visiting. Um, so cautiously optimistic is the word. Words. It's that like, is like the word. Cautiously optimistic. That is the word of the last two years. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, bye everybody. See everybody next week. Thanks, this has everybody. Been an Adafruit production. Here is your moment of Zener. Bye, everybody. <laughs>